Welcome to the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you haven't joined us before, we're passionate about all things internal medicine and helping you become the best tech you can be. We'll be discussing interesting internal medicine diseases, how to work closely with pet parents, and how to become the go-to tech in your practice. Now, let's start the show. everybody and welcome back to the internal medicine for vet techs podcast i hope everybody is doing well and thank you so much for listening and making a commitment to learning i am one of your fabulous hosts oh i called myself fabulous that's weird um (laughs) i'm jordan if you haven't known me by now and i am joined by the wonderful yvonne brandenburg hey girl hi but but today we're not by ourselves no we get to the to speak to the amazing Brian Morgan again. If you guys haven't listened to Brian Morgan's episode already on just kind of upping your tech game and and looking at different career options, I strongly recommend you go listen to it. I don't remember the last time I was so like pumped and like jittery after like an episode because I was just so like worked up and amped because it was just, (laughs) I thought it was so good. I was um, so sad I didn't get to be part of it. So I know um, FOMO is real. <laughs> there is, yeah. So hi, Brian. Hi. Hello. How are, how is everybody doing? Great. I hope your cat makes, oh, Finn makes an appearance now. <laughs> my, my cat is sleeping uh, right now. So hopefully he won't bite me on this episode. Oh um, I have to say happy birthday to both of you, by the way. I uh, listened oh. to your episode recently and I think you both had birthdays. Yeah, so, we're Leo uh, babies. Yeah. Well, Thank my you. birthday is next week, so uh, I'm yeah. also a Leo. I think we've got a trio of Leos on here now. And then Audrey is also with us. So Audrey uh, Liner, hey. are you a Leo as well, Audrey? I'm a Sagittarius. I'm a November baby, Thanksgiving baby. All right. Oh, you're you're up there okay. with uh, my husband who frequently gets forgotten <laughs> oh yeah each year it rotates whether uh you know my birthday's gonna fall on thanksgiving or not and um uh, of course i don't like turkey <laughs> oh yeah you're like my favorite food turkey yeah <laughs> but i'm here but i'll be in the background because i want to i want to keep the focus on all of you three wonderful people but i'll be here to chime in as needed well, um, we had an amazing episode with Brian. Again, sorry, Yvonne, that you didn't get to be there, um, where we kind of learned about Brian and his uh, career path and how it led him to Best Pet RX and how it led him through Best Pet RX even. Um, but this week, we're going to kind of focus on, um, last week, we discussed quality of life and how we want to help our patients to just be comfortable at the end. And so this week, we're going to kind of dive into how compounding medications in particular can help that. Um, Because our goal, I think, as veterinary professionals is to really focus on keeping the quality of life as good as we can get it towards the end, right? While we also want to maintain compliance from the client as well and make things easy for everybody and really just help kind of solidify that. So Brian is going to be our... um, our professional knowledge base on how those things can help um, <laughs> and, and how we can really just create a, a comfortable world for these guys towards. Well, the end. and I, and I want to kind of throw this in too, cause it's like, Oh God, internal medicine 
um, oncology, cardiology, neurology, right? Like <laughs> all the specialties that we've had on this episode, on this podcast, we use a ton of compounding medications. Uh, mm-hmm. I think just because our, our patients are on weird formulations or they're on so many medications and mm-hmm. maybe it's like a human specific one, but we need to have it a dose for like, you know, our pets. And so the other part of quality of life is just quality of life for mm-hmm. a young patient, right. And, and quality of life for owners. So they're mm-hmm. not fighting with their pets. So you're I'm right, super excited right. because we do so <laughs> much just like general quality, of life, but we don't think about it that way. I definitely didn't think about it that way, but you're like, right? I'm like, if it were one of my like difficult, like one of the puppies, Riley in particular, <laughs> if I had to medicate him with like more than even I think one medication a day, I'd probably like I would struggle significantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you're right. There are other ways to utilize compounding to just make those situations and processes of life a little bit easier. And so Brian, I'm so excited to have you talk about all this stuff because it's, I compounding is relatively new. Well, that's interesting to say, considering like compounding is almost like how you made like those non-compounded meds, but like it, yeah, compounding is actually very old. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's like almost. Yeah. Like I think it's like had a resurgence, especially in bed yeah. I think that's what. Yeah, it's like you needed compounding to make drugs in the first place, but it's like I think now coming back to like vet med as its own like entity is different and new. Yeah, I think you also have a lot more veterinary exclusive compounding pharmacies out there now that um, are dedicated towards to veterinary compounding specifically where you did not have that uh, in the past. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you also have a lot more people seeing specialists. And uh, just like Yvonne mm. said, yeah. Uh, yeah, the whole ACVIM specialty group um, uses a ton of compounded products just because you're managing a lot of chronic diseases and, um, and specialty diseases, specialty doses and things like that. So um, I think with access to care um, in the growing specialty world, plus more veterinary uh, dedicated compounding pharmacies uh that's probably what's leading to this big resurgence that you're talking about yeah Mm -hmm. that totally makes sense yeah which it it definitely makes sense but i think a big component though too that i don't know if it's like it's new but it's like you can utilize compounding for other things as well right like we we kind of talked about it off the air a little bit but um and I'm sure we'll we'll go into more details. I, I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself here. <laughs> we so never excited. do that. It's fine. Skip to skip to the end. <laughs> that's what I want to do, but it's like I I'm trying. I'm trying. Um, but kind of tell us a little bit about. I don't know. Can you start from the beginning? Like where, where do you see compounding? Like from where it started to where do you think it's going to go? Yeah, I mean, I can tell you, probably can't tell you where I think it's going to go, but I I would probably tell you kind of where I see it, where it fits in now, Mm -hmm. uh, if that works um, in the day to day. Because I think everybody listening who's in the veterinary uh, field has had experience with compounding uh, pharmacies and compounding products for their patients, just because it's a necessity. Uh, But, you know, I, I do think, 
that the first thing we should always look to do is, of course, is use an FDA approved product if we can, Mm -hmm. um, because they've been tested for safety and efficacy. You know, there's been a lot of research done on those. So that's kind of the gold standard. Um, If you're going to prescribe a drug, you, you look to do that first. Um, the reasons why you would probably go to compounding where compounding fits in is a, if, uh, the, you know, there's not an FDA product available. So if something's on back order, you know, Mm -hmm. um, there's really no way to get it unless you do have it compounded. Um, or if it can't be made, um, uh, you know, uh, because it doesn't exist. So cisapride, for instance, uh, there is not an FDA approved product out there that contains cisapride. Uh, anymore. So all cisapride has to be compounded. Um, So, you know, those are reasons to do it. Uh, I would say, you know, the main reason why we compound in veterinary medicine is just because we're dealing with um, patients that are tiny, um, that, you know, there's not a whole lot of, uh, you know, good milligram strengths that are out there in tablets that are made just for their strengths, you know, because we use a lot of uh, human drugs off label Mm -hmm. in veterinary medicine, um, and those are created for humans. So a lot of times, yeah. you know, some of the drugs you can fit into these patients, but you know, uh, you get a too small of a patient or too large of a patient, you know, it gets kind of difficult. So you need some pretty um, specific dosings for them. So I, I think that's where compounding really fits in is when the choice to use an FDA approved product is not uh, feasible um, for reasons that it's not available or that uh, the pet needs a specific dose or if the mm-hmm. pet just won't take that, uh, the FDA approved product, you tried to, you tried to give it to them and um, they're spitting it out. The pet owners pulling their hair out. Um, they need something like a flavored suspension or something like that. So um, compounding play, plays a huge role in veterinary, veterinary medicine because it of those reasons. Sh- it should play a bigger role in pediatric medicine. Cause like I will say right? <laughs> with my children, it, well, I don't know, not my son. I have a feeling he's going to love college the way he took medicine, but my daughter, difficult. like she was like, I would have to like legit hold her down like a dog and like try to shove a syringe in her cheek and like squirt it in. And it's like, and it you was always burritoed your daughter, didn't you? I did. You had a oh. scruffer. I... <laughs> yeah, she wasn't very good about that. And you know, scruff and stretch. And I told my husband, I was like, just throw it back there. <laughs> like <laughs> um pill popper. But it's like everything is so like standardized. And it's like, I don't that shouldn't be like I didn't like bubblegum flavor growing up. Like right. I don't think my children should have to like bubblegum. Turns out my children are bubblegum freaks, but whatever. Um <laughs> it's just when it correlates to pet medicine, I feel like it's almost, I feel like vet med almost does better with compounding than even human med does because it's like, I guess maybe I just haven't been exposed to it in human medicine, but I feel like it it could play a bigger role in human medicine even. And I I don't, it shouldn't just be limited to pets, but I, I love that it's an option for pets because I do think it can really just significantly improve their lives just because of the different formulations um mm-hmm. now can well what kind of limitations do you see with compounding though like other than the whole like fda specific drugs i know when i've called compounding pharmacies i'm like can you mix these two drugs together so they can only give one instead of two and it's yeah. like i'm sure you guys get asked all the time to do crazy things yeah oh uh, you do and that is, that's the benefit of working with a good compounding pharmacy, right? One that has good communication with you, um, wants to solve the problem. 
uh, and wants to look into different formulations that can do that. Um, there are limitations, you know, there's limitations whenever you're compounding something in a suspension, just uh, based on is it soluble in that suspension or not? Um, and how high can you go? So, you know, if something's only soluble up until 70 milligrams, but you know, it's a cat that needs 200 milligrams, you know, how much are you making their lives easier by having them give, you know, more than three mls uh or around three mls of drug i don't know you know so those are the things that you have to think about um when you're combining drugs you know that's a very uh, hard thing to do it mm -hmm. happens but uh you have to make sure that the drugs don't interact with each other first mm -hmm. and foremost um and then you get into beyond use dating uh for those once they're made because there is no accurate way to determine if that specific unique combination of drugs is stable for a period of time mm -hmm. uh, because you can't test it mm -hmm. right because it's a very unique formula for that pet then you have to get a much shorter shelf life or beyond yeah. use state um on that so you can run into some issues with that those are the limitations uh the benefits of all this is you know you have a cat that's on four or five different cardiac meds mm -hmm. um there's a cat that you don't you certainly don't want to stress them out in the, you know, they have cardiac disease. Uh, you know, you can get a lot of those, those meds into the same form and same tablet or the same capsule um, and give them, you know, give them an AM dose and a PM dose that gives them all of their, all of their drugs. Uh, you know, ideally they'll take individual drugs so that you can have a way to titrate drugs if mm -hmm. you need to, you know, change like the furosemide and stuff like that. But, you know, a lot of times, I mean, cats are tough, you know, we, we all know this uh, coming from the, you know, vet tech world, cats are tough to medicate, and especially if it's a chronic thing, mm -hmm. um, trying to get three to five medications into a cat a couple times a day, you know, you might be lucky to get one or two if they're not food motivated, which a lot of them aren't when they, when they're this sick. Yeah. Uh, so they, it is an option get... for them. And cats get aversion so easily as well. So it's yeah. it's almost one of those things where it's like cats, like you do, in my opinion, I feel like you want those like shorter shelf life things because the chances of the cat being over it after a little while is going to, it's like, I feel like it's just so high, especially when they're sick. Like, I feel like cats yeah. are like low key, low maintenance until they're like, just not and then they then all hell breaks loose and everything makes them upset and everything is like they're picky about everything and I think that's where yep. compounding really can play a big role because you have that ability to change it for them and they don't recognize that you're changing it because it's like all right well I can see that we're starting to lose interest in this flavor right like maybe we need yeah. this flavor. maybe we need a different concentration maybe we need to give a little less or you know and it's like I think that the flexibility that there is with compounding makes it so we should be utilizing it more because we should be titrating these things as well to the lowest possible dose often. And so it's like, I, I want to make sure that we know where we can kind of like push things. Cause it's like compounding is huge when it comes to like, again, maintaining quality of life in any age pet. Well, yeah, yeah, and you were talking about, um, I think in your previous episode that you guys um, shot about end of life mm -hmm. care um, and quality of life uh, around that. And 
this is a big thing about that. Uh, we've dealt, I, I actually spoke on, at VCS a couple of years ago about this, about some case studies. We had a 17 year old cat that had um, cancer, uh, small cell lymphoma, and was being treated with chlorambucil, but was also being treated with a bunch of other supportive therapies like an antiemetic, a steroid, an appetite stimulant, uh, you know, metronidazole as needed for diarrhea. Um, but also had uh, hyperthyroidism. So they were on the thimosol. So the pet owners were trying to give this whole cocktail of drugs, uh, but it really impacted their bond and their relationship. And they, this was a 17 year old cat uh, that they had had, you know, for most of its life. That's a long time. And to really mess up the end, you know, is. Mm -hmm is really a shame. And so there are ways that we can uh, combine things or put things into an easier method of giving to a pet um, in those situations to where you're protecting that bond with them. Because the cat was, every time they would come into the room, would just leave the room. They were afraid mm -hmm. they were gonna get a pill. Um, and that's sad to me. So compounding has a really big part, part to play in protecting that human animal bond as well. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I think something too, I think people forget is, it doesn't have to be liquid. There are some <laughs> animals that are so averse to the liquids. Um, and like for my cat, you know, his end of life, like same thing. He was on a ton of medications, um, including like metronidazole occasionally. Right. And we all know cats hate metronidazole. Um, yeah. but like I put stuff in a capsule and then it was like, he didn't taste it. It was one capsule that had all these meds in it. And then I gave him treats and he gets a capsule and the capsule, he's like, all right, whatever. I just want the treats. So I think, I think giving those options to clients is huge too, because they think that they're, they don't have options. Mm -hmm. um, and if right. we forget to have those conversations, because some cats do great with liquid medications, some don't. And so I think, you know, being prepared to have like the conversation of like, how is it going? Like, do we need to look at a different compounded formulation? Like what, mm -hmm. what can we do to make things easier for everyone? Um, plus just in general, I think we forget a lot of times, um, training <laughs> mm -hmm. and talking about like the, you know, we've talked about fear free and stuff like that. That also goes home. Like yeah. they're you know, we don't it, like, like Brian's saying, we don't want those pets to be like, oh, now you're a veterinary professional, <laughs> like, yeah. like, you know, no, it's a, and, and a lot of times clients are fumbling. So like my husband's yeah. so funny, like, he, I was like, all right, I'm going out of town. And he's like, okay, I got this. And he's like, I felt <laughs> like I was choking him every time with my big fingers. Uh -huh. and I'm like, oh my God, it's fine. Right. Yeah. So, and then your cat is like, great, I have an untrained veterinary professional now here going to do this at home. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I think too, compounding can help create those like relationships in clinic as well. And it's like, mm -hmm. it's one of those things that I think as a veterinary professional, whether you're a CSR assistant, doctor, vet tech, whatever, it doesn't matter. If you open that conversation of like, Hey, I worry that your pet not might like, or might not like this version of this medication, or this might upset them, or this might decrease their quality of life. Then we're, then we're actually hitting those emotions of that client, right? We're, we're focusing on that bond with the client and the pet versus like the money and the get the drug in and blah, blah, blah. And like, just go mm -hmm. and blow, you know? So it's like, mm -hmm. it's one of those things where I think, because it should be a conversation though, too. It shouldn't just be, Hey, I think you should compound this med, go call this pharmacy. Here you go. 
I think it right. needs to be more of a, what are we trying to achieve, right? Like, if it's an end of life thing, it, we're probably not achieving curable, right? But we want to ch- achieve comfort. Um, do we, we want to achieve no fear of the owner <laughs> at right. that end of life stage, right? And so I think that's a big role in vet med though too, just showing that empathetic side that we don't yeah. often get to show as much because everybody just says like, oh, vet med just cares about the money or, you know, how could you put animals to sleep? It's such a tough job. And I'm like, look at the other stuff that we do in between, like taking the time to have these conversations and figure out how these plans might be best for you, your pet and your family, you know? And so I think that's a big right. thing that gets overlooked often mm. and it's sad. And so I, I like that compounding is kind of coming in to help change that dynamic. Yeah, uh, it is. It's uh, the thing is, you can know everything you you want about a pet's condition, their disease state. You could have diagnosed them to death. Uh, well, not to death, but you could have diagnosed well. them <laughs> out the wazoo. Uh, and and if they if you can't get medicine in them, it's all for naught. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it almost doesn't matter because you have no way to treat them. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people can do manufactured tablets. You know, they have dogs that are food motivated. They have cats Mm -hmm. that are fine taking it in a pill pocket, things like that. And that's great. Um, But for those cases that they don't, or you've got uh, pet owners that are hesitant or um, it's going to be too hard. So they're going to elect not to treat um, or they're not going to be very compliant. They're going to skip doses or they're not going to think it's a really big deal um, because it's too hard or there's elderly uh, clients. There's so mm-hmm. many different reasons why people can't give uh, a regular FDA approved product. And when that happens, this is it, this really is such a great option for them uh, because it is custom therapy. Uh, it's customized to what their needs are. And that's that's the role of a compounding pharmacy. Yeah. And I think that's big because it's like oftentimes it is one of those things where sometimes clients have to choose to right? like which medication can I treat my pet with mm-hmm. because it's like I worry that two I get one shot are, yeah right like again with Riley I get one shot and that's it and so it's like ideally injectable for him would work great <laughs> like if I never yeah. have to touch him again but <laughs> like I think those are big things and it's like also how often can we make something where it's like maybe we can make it so you can give it once a day or you know and it's just like we're trying to make it easy on the pet, but we're trying to make it easy on the owners. So that way the pet gets treatment. Yeah. You have to treat both. Yeah. Uh, you have to treat the the pet and the pet owner. The pet owner is your patient as well. Um, because without their buy-in, uh, you're not going to be able to treat the pet uh, effectively or efficiently. Um, and so again, you, it, you, you just hit the nail on the head. You are actually having to work directly with this pet owner to figure out what they're comfortable with and what they can do and what they can't do. And the thing is compounding is oftentimes more expensive mm-hmm. uh, than uh, prescribing a, you know, a manufactured product because it's a custom product. So, you know, the decision to use compounding shouldn't be made lightly because it is more expensive, mm-hmm. but if a pet owner is motivated to treat their pet uh, and they can't treat with a regular FDA approved product or manufactured product, um, then that, like you said, is a discussion with them. Hey, mm-hmm. let's decide together that this is the best thing, uh, the best course of action. And one thing I noticed when I was a tech uh, in in the world, uh, in practice, is if a pet owner can't see the disease state, 
they're more inclined to be less uh, compliant because yes. uh, it is just human nature out of sight, out of mind. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, there's some disease states that uh, maybe don't present themselves until they've gotten so bad. Uh, and then we're in a crisis, you know, cardiac can be that way. Um, so I think it's also important in the communication side with the pet owner, not only to say what our objectives are with using this medication, but when your pet starts feeling better on this medication, the importance of continuing to use it. And this mm -hmm. is why this mm -hmm. is what could happen if you stop. So let's come up with a plan. Of, do you feel like you can do this long-term? This is a medication for the life of your pet. Um, and if you don't feel that uh, you're able to do this day in and day out, let's mm -hmm. talk about other options um, that will make that easier for you. Yeah. And in, in our previous episode, Brian, we kind of talked about communication and how that's kind of growing in uh, pharmacies and stuff. And I think that's a big thing too, with compounding pharmacies in particular is like, yeah, you might be spending a little bit more money to formulate this for your pet and for you and for ease and stuff, but it's like, you're, you're not alone because a, it takes a, a bigger conversation with the veterinary staff, right. To discuss this and determine if compounding is right for you, your family and your pet. But so many compounding pharmacies are actually open to that discussion as well with either the veterinary professional or the client themselves to discuss things like, hey, what flavors do you have in stock? My cat doesn't really like fish flavored. Like, what else do you have? And it so I, so many compounding pharmacies willing to educate about compounding and what medications you can put together to limit how many times you're doing something or what different yeah. formulations you have, right? It's not always just liquid, but when I think of compounding, I think liquid. And so it's hard to like get it out of your brain a little bit, but I think how open and receptive a lot of compounding pharmacists and pharmacy companies are, yeah. I, I see that there is more education getting out, out there about like what can be done and what can't be done, what shouldn't be done and things like that. And I think I think it's big because again, like as a vet professional, sometimes like actually just as a human, um, not a vet professional, but sometimes as a human, you kind of have this expectation you call and you say, Hey, I want X, Y, Z. And then a lot of people don't, we talked about it in the last episode. Sometimes it's just a no. And you're like, why? But then we don't ask why, or we don't have time or they don't have time to explain. And so I find that a lot of compounding pharmacies are trying to find the time to explain this and which is part of the reason why we wanted to have you on is so we could kind of explain what we can do compounding wise sure uh, and i would tell you along this line um back to your thing of you think of compounding and you think of liquid right and that is classic i mean a lot of people uh, in veterinary medicine just think oh well we're gonna make it a liquid and um i used to have this uh, viewpoint of, you know, sending a compound out to a compounding pharmacy and they were just crushing a tablet and mixing it some liquid and sending it out the door mm -hmm. being in a compounding pharmacy. I know it's way more complicated than that now, but, um, but that's what that used to be my viewpoint. What I would tell you as a veterinary professional calling a compounding pharmacy is don't put yourself in a box, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because mm -hmm. compounding pharmacies have the ability to get, get it right for that pet. Um, for instance, I will have, uh, you know, a doctor call in for 25 mgs per ml of metronidazole, uh, for instance, for a cat, give one ml, uh, you know, twice a day. And that should be, you're putting yourself in a box if you write it that way. Yeah. Um, what you should say is I need this pet to get 25 milligrams twice a day of metronidazole. 
What do you think is best for that? Well, we can do this in a liquid that's 100 mg per ml to where they only have to give a quarter ml uh, per dose. We can do this as metronidazole benzoate instead of metronidazole USP. So that way it's not bitter like the USP version. Um, so they'll take it better. Things like that. But you don't even know to ask those questions, right? Because yeah. in in the uh, practicing space of veterinary medicine, nobody is trained in compounding and all the no. things you can do in it because it is vast. There are so many formulations that you can do uh, and work with. So my advice is to never put yourself in a box, but just ask questions. Hey, this is you what know, I need. What's I was like, my best, brain exploded a little bit at the metronidazole bitterness. Like there was another option for that. <laughs> like, well, yeah. I was going to say, and that's, and, and that's a I, I really think we need to kind of discuss that. That's huge because as a vet tech, I'm not allowed to prescribe anything like that is right. not, that is not something I'm allowed to do. Um, and so when I, cause my doctors aren't calling them in, I'm calling in the medication or going on the, the website or, you know, whatever it is. Um, I think it's important that we have those discussions with our doctors and be like, Hey, instead of writing 25 mix per mil, mm -hmm. right. Or whatever strength it is. Can you just say 25 milligrams twice a day? Because then we can have that conversation and, and be like, well, you know, Hey, Hey Susie, what do you want for your pet? Do you want liquid? Do you want a capsule? Do you want a tablet? Do you want transdermal? Do you want, what are you, what are you looking for? And then we can have that conversation with the compounding pharmacy or and, and I don't know, I don't know, it, it haven't run into it many times, but like I've had compounding pharmacies call me back and be like, Hey, you said a liquid, but the owner really doesn't want the liquid. Can we do tablets or whatever it is? And mm -hmm. I think that's a really good point to be like, you know, in our medical record, it's, it's twofold, right? In our medical record, we want to put the actual dose. Mm -hmm. And then eventually when we figure out what the formulation is, we should write that down because when we go back, we need to know what the heck we prescribed. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that's a really important conversation as, as medical teams that we should be having, you know, with our doctors and with our, you know, coworkers and be like, okay, so how do we, not have like 50 steps to get there and back and forth. Like if, if, if the doctor's okay with me getting on the phone and talking to a pharmacist and they're like, I don't care what formulation it is, as long as they're getting this dose, which most of the times mm -hmm. doctors don't care as long as it meets, you know, um, the dose. And then maybe if there's like a, a food sensitivity or something like that. Right. But other well, than that, yeah. most doctors don't care. Yeah. They're like, right. And it depends. Yeah. And there's, you know, if the pet has an E-tube or something, right? right. Like we're mm -hmm. only going to do liquid, but if, if it's something that they don't care and, and there's some pharmacies out there that just do um, that only have hypoallergenic flavors, right? So that you don't even have to worry about that because that is a big, uh, that is something that is big out there that we kind of overlook in the veterinary practice side of it. Oh is, yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to have them call it in uh, to this pharmacy, but I need to dictate what flavor they're getting. Uh, you know, we've gotten asked so many times, um, do you have duck flavor? Do you have lamb flavor? You know, these, these classic, um, you know, flavors for pets that are on a limited ingredient diet and, and we don't, but, um, you know, but we do have chicken flavor that's synthetic. <laughs> so it's not, um, you know, it's considered hypoallergenic because there's no animal protein associated with it. So those are things to look out for. Also, um, you know, if, 
if you're compounding capsules and, and they have a sensitivity, uh, a lot of capsules are made from gelatin. Yeah, you're getting on you're something... getting on Yvonne's soapbox here. <laughs> yeah, and that's really something to it's just something that you have to be aware of as medical professionals. You start out with a patient in mind, right? Um, mm -hmm. how do we set this patient up for success? We're gonna call this into a pharmacy. What are all the things we can do with this compound that we can set them up for success? If it's gonna be a liquid or a suspension, let's try to get it in the smallest volume possible that they have to get. Mm -hmm. Um if it's going to be in a capsule or a tablet form or a treat form, anything like that, let's make sure that we're putting on there, uh, you know, that it needs to be hypoallergenic formula or no flavor or whatever. Or, or if it's a pharmacy that, you know, only does hypoallergenic flavors, you don't have to worry about that. You just leave that off. But you always mm -hmm. want to take your, your patient in mind. Oh, they have food sensitivities. It can't be capsules. Yeah. And, and really, I, I also think, when you're writing a prescription or sending a prescription over to a, um, a pharmacy, one thing to do also, if it's a liquid is um, don't specify the quantity, but write it by the day supply. Um, because there's something called hub loss, which I'm sure you guys mm -hmm. know about, um, which is a little bit at the end of the syringe that's left over after you give it. Um, but if you call in for half an ML once a day and you call in for 15 MLs, that is not last than uh, 30 days. Yeah. That is going to last right. 27 days. And guess who's calling you and the pharmacy? Yep. Man. And guess who's upset? <laughs> it's probably even less yeah. than that because it coats the bottle, right? And right. Then, mm -hmm. like, yeah. Uh, probably yeah, more so like 25 days. So, <laughs> yeah. If you, and it's frustrating because if we're thinking about it, like how many touch points do you want to have with a pet owner just about getting the medicine right? Yeah. One, right. You want to talk to them about it. You want to talk to the pharmacy once about it and that should be it. But if we don't write it, if we write it for 15 MLs instead of for 30 days, mm -hmm. then, you know, if it's for 30 days, the pharmacy can adjust for hub loss and then they're getting a 30 day supply. But I think too, if professionals took the time to discuss these things with a compounding or a pharmacy staff member of any pharmacy, right. And learn yeah. these things uh, like the gelatin in uh, capsules or like when I learned that marshmallow flavoring did a really good job at masking metronidazole taste. But now I know today yeah. that apparently there's a different metronidazole you can use that's not bitter. Thank you, Brian. Um, yeah, you're welcome. I know. I was like mind blown. But it's like, if we, <laughs> again, we're scientists. Like we should be taking the time to learn these things because it's like it shouldn't. I feel like uh, there was this dynamic when I was in practice that it's like the pharmacy kind of works for the vet clinic. And it's like, no, we're a team. Like, mm -hmm. cause I I've had doctors tell me like, Oh, the pharmacy's calling back. Like, why don't they just write the prescription? Like I told them to. And I'm like, mm, there's a reason why they're calling, <laughs> you know? And it's like, yeah. and it's like, I've heard that from doctors and I'm like, why are you guys so opposed to hearing why this might not work? Like, why not just listen and learn? And then, you know, take that to the next patient and so I think that's the frustrating part is that like trying to convince people to be open-minded and that like the pharmacy's not working for you you're not working for the pharmacy the pharmacy's not working for the client like we're all working together to try to meet the same goal of getting this pet better and I think yep. that's it shouldn't be so hard to wrap your head around but it, it like for some reason it gets missed sometimes well, we have a great opportunity for us all to be part of the um, the team that's uh, taking care of that patient, right? Mm -hmm. um, I often, uh, you know, say that I want it to feel like we're down the hall from a hospital that's using us, not, you know, across the country. 
Uh, mm-hmm. it, it should feel like you have a relationship with your pharmacy because in that you, you have trust on both sides, right? Mm-hmm. Um, trust. And you also have comfort so that you don't feel bad about asking questions or you don't feel awkward about asking questions or receiving, you know, um, you know, advice or something about how this might can be done differently. Uh, I also know that there's so many different ways to make things. Uh, different pharmacies have their own different formulations. So, you know, a doctor may have been using a, one pharmacy before who did it this way, and then they they move to another hospital, and then they're using a different pharmacy, and the pharmacy calls and says, we don't do it like that. Um, I can see them getting, uh, you know, being confused and being a little bit upset in that world. Well, I was getting it that way from this other pharmacy, you know, so those conversations happen too sometimes. But um, no, it's very important to like have two ways. Those updates on medications, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I remember some of the transdermal things for a long mm-hmm. time. It was like anything can be transdermal. And then, you know, the yeah. reports come out and it's like, no, that doesn't really actually absorb. So I think, yeah, I think making sure that the pharmacy is up to date. And I think mm-hmm. that's a big difference between some of the human pharmacies yes, that vet med versus like a vet med pharmacy. Like, those pharmacists are going to be dedicated to understanding the weird intricacies of vet med versus human. Um, yes. I think that's I think a big, big part of it too. That's a huge deal because I know when I worked in specialty medicine, we did use a local human compounding pharmacy Yeah, and it's like we, oftentimes, we yeah. And oftentimes we would get calls from the pharmacists and then it was one of those things where it's like, well, this is for an animal. Like they would call and be like, Hey, this dose seems too high. And we're like, uh, the dose is correct. Yeah. Like, Levithyroxine. It was Levithyroxine. I bet you they call all the time about that because it's a higher dose for dogs than it is in people. And so I've dealt with that so much in my life <laughs> when I was on, when I was on your side, I was like, stop calling me and put it in your notes that levothyroxine <laughs> is fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it, there is a big difference between human uh, and veterinary uh, focused pharmacies, uh, just because you want to go with somebody who that is their focus, right? And for human compounding pharmacies, they'll do veterinary prescriptions uh, because of cash business, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's not going through insurance and, you know, they're compounding so they can, they can compound and some of, you know, they'll do a good job. Some of them do, but they don't they don't put the effort uh, into being the best or trying to, to learn more or solve big problems. They're solving the problem that comes in their door, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not that they're doing a bad job. It's just that th- it's not their focus. Um, and so you, you probably want to stick with a veterinary pharmacy if you can, um, because that's their focus. And, you know, as far as ingredients goes, what goes in there, what's safe to use, what's not safe to use, all of that. Um, I would just trust the veterinary pharmacy to do that a little bit better. Oh, for sure. Because mm-hmm. something as simple as xylitol. I can't tell you how many human pharmacies I called where I'm like, does this have xylitol in it? And they're like, no. And I'm like, are you sure? And then they're like, uh, I mean, maybe, but it should be fine. And I'm like, uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know? then maybe it should be uh-huh. fine. I'm like, yeah. no. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so you're going to kill my patient. <laughs> yeah. And so- I, well, I don't like anybody who doesn't know what they're talking about saying oh but it should be fine <laughs> like like just as a side thing uh, do you, it's not we're talking about medicine it's not a should be it's a will it be okay or will it not be this is black and white when it gets to that well, like <laughs> but it, 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 it's commonly those um i will say like corporate owned human pharmacies that are busy and 
yeah, yeah. that don't want we, to take the time to look into it because like they have other things to do and because they're spitting out like prescription after prescription like they're making their income yeah. they don't care like you know and it's like everybody's th- playing that hold music in their head right now mm-hmm. they're incredibly stressed <laughs> out those people are too because oh, yeah. they're in such high high volume situations uh and just trying to squeeze more and more out of it with less support staff. Um, does that sound like veterinary medicine sometimes? Yeah. Well, I'm not uh, trying to go uh, on a soapbox uh, either, but it's like yeah. human medicine. Yeah. Your my doctor doesn't tell me what a medication may do to me or what side effects right. would make. I like. I remember the first time I was prescribed Pred and uh, ibuprofen at the same time. I was like, "Are you sure uh, <laughs> like that I should be doing that?" And so it's like a lot of those questions go to those pharmacists, those human pharmacists and stuff like that. And it's like, they're inundated. So then for them to have to pretend to know vet med is tough, I think. And I think we, I think uh, veterinary medicine gets mad about it instead of just being like, I should probably utilize a pet pharmacy, <laughs> you know, who just does understanding the pets. limitations. Yeah. yeah. If, if you do use that, just know that it comes with a caveat that you might get more calls and questions about things. Um, and if you know those limitations and you're okay with those um, and somebody calls you back, then that's just expected, mm-hmm. right? You've set your own expectations. <laughs> this is so true. Yeah. So um, we kind of talked about some benefits of compounding, but I want to go into a little bit more detail about it because like there's other ways that we can utilize compounding, not just for like making something smaller or easier to get in or transdermal. Like there's other ways that we can utilize compounding, um, like specifically like color coding medications mm-hmm. is a thing. And that's new to I'm me. I'm sorry, like, what? Yeah, I know. I was like, wait a second, I need to know about this. So like, I didn't know that this was a thing. And so can you kind of like explain to us about some of these other options that I think we are unaware of? Yeah, so, um, you know, because it is a custom, uh, formulation or a custom microtab or a custom capsule, we have the, the great opportunity to make it exactly what that patient needs. And one of the challenges with a pet owner who's giving multiple medications and, uh, you know, say they're getting all the things compounded into a flavored tablet and all those flavored tablets are made with the same mold. So that they all look the same, but they're all three different medications, right? Well, if they spit one out, which one did they miss? Yeah. We don't know. So we have, you know, Pred that's uh, blue. Uh, we'll have, you know, Meropitant that's uh, red, you know, and leave the other one brown. And now you know exactly if they spit it out, which one they missed. Wow. Um, or if you see under the couch, only red pills, <laughs> you know that that one's not working out. Yeah. <laughs> so we got to find a different option for it. So um you know, that, that's one way that you can utilize compounding. It's just so interesting. And even we've had people that are on two different transdermal medications for their pet. Yeah. I think that's the simple. Tough one. They look so similar and it's like, yeah. which yeah. one did I put on this ear? You know? And as simple as changing the color of the cap on the end of the syringe um, and marking that on the label. So, you know, methimazole transdermal uh, is going to, it'll say black caps on it. And so all of those are black. So Because one of the most common things is if you've got two different uh, transdermals, uh, you take them both out of the their individual boxes to give them at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then you look down and you're like, which one is which? I don't know. Right? 
yeah. because you've got two syringes that look the same. So that's well, one way to do that. Our poor elderly patients, like those labels are tiny. <laughs> like, oh, you mean the clients? Clients, yes. Uh, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I the little dog with glasses on. They're like, excuse me. I know he's got a little. She, she meant what she like, said. She meant what she you said. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's just like, yeah, but that's actually a really good point. Like having it color coded mm-hmm. so that an older client. Like I think of my mom, like she struggles to read her own medications, which is like a whole other thing. But like, I go, yeah, you know, give the gabapentin. She's like, well, which one's that? And I'm like, oh God, you know? So, but I love the idea of the color coding. And great. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, and if they bring them into the hospital, because it's like the baggie of drugs, yes. it could be like the blue one is the pred, the red one is the serenia, the, you know, the brown yes. one, and we could be like, oh, it's it's obviously those ones. That's pretty cool too. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And then also for these elderly patients or people um, that are hard of seeing, because um, you don't have to be elderly to be hard of seeing, but uh, they have we can put lines on the syringes if they're giving an oral dose. So it's a red line that goes around exactly where you're supposed to draw it up to. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And, and that's helpful. I don't, I don't love doing that unless we have to, just because if the dose changes and the doctor tells them the dose changes, but doesn't yep. update the pharmacy, then they're still trying to go to a red line or trying to go past it. That uh, but in some happen. cases, uh, yeah. <laughs> right. What? <laughs> no uh, way. So that's, that's one of the things that I, uh, uh, is an option uh, if, but again, it's individual patients and individual pet owners, what their preference is. Yeah. And that's, I love that's the benefit I, of compounding. I was going to say, there's a note here and I, and I love this um, for color. Cause I'm this color coding thing. I'm telling you, this is amazing. Um, but you're talking about like differentiating, like, especially if you have multiple drugs in like one capsule, right. Mm-hmm. And maybe you have one that, cause you know, it's like, I think of like our, our chemotherapy patients, right. And maybe they're doing chlorambucil on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Mm -hmm. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday are going to be like the red capsules. And then, you know, the Tuesday, Wednesday, because and Saturday, because it's day after you're going to do different meds and then Sunday, maybe there's a different one. So I think, um, that's a really cool idea to have like that visual like okay yes this is all that drug but maybe that's the dose for the chemotherapy day you know and I think Mm -hmm. because if we can make things easier for clients Mm -hmm. then it makes it them more compliant which just means that our patients do better and they love us (laughs) that is simply (laughs) in a nutshell that is simply the purpose of compounding right there that's yeah Uh, making it easier for the pet owners to be compliant. That is all because yeah. all the rest of those benefits come with that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The end. No, I'm kidding. Right. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it. Series is done by. Yeah. It's just, it's just amazing. And I think we, I like, I, I know compounding is being utilized more and more, which is amazing, but I, I wish like, I want, I, I hope this episode like opens the door for like more discussion about compounding and, and because we kind of talked about combining drugs, right? So what are the, the drugs that we can typically combine to make life easier, right? Because we have a lot of those 
uh, GI patients. Um, I was IV like the standard drugs and, that we usually use. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm looking at the list, the list here and I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I will tell you a lot of the, um, a lot of the drugs that are used as supportive care for oncology patients uh, mm -hmm. can be combined together. Now, remember that just reduces mm -hmm. the uh, beyond use state that you can put on the bottle for them because we don't know how long it'll be stable for after a certain amount of time because it can't be tested. So it is yeah. a shorter shelf life or shorter beyond use state um, for those, but um, those can go together. Um, we will do cardiac um, meds together in cases where the cardiologist feels like it's the only way for the pet owner uh, to give that in. Um, and we have a lot of success cases as far as uh, patients that have been on combination drug therapy for a long time with those com uh, uh, combined cardiac drugs Yeah. Um, for like really tiny dogs or for, for cats. So um, those are pretty much the ones that go together. I know um, for cyclophosphamide, we've done uh, furosemide together in the ca same capsule mm -hmm. um, uh, to prevent, uh, you know, um, hemorrhagic cystitis. Uh, when they give it. So um, there's a lot of things that can go together. There's a lot of things that cannot go together. There's more things that cannot go together than there are that can go together. Um, but the good thing is in some of these long-term supportive care cases, those can go together. Yeah. I, I know what's crazy the... is I know you're talking about meds that can't go together. And I, this is where my brain goes. Cause I'm a weirdo. Um, I go, it can't be together in a capsule or in a liquid but it can be together in their stomach. Like my brain explodes right there. I'm yeah. like, how does that, that's a whole other situation and conversation, but, uh, but it is good to know which ones can be given together. I mean, well, there's a lot of things that go into play with there with pH uh, levels. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, do the drugs themselves counteract each other when they're together? Um, does one oxidize and the other doesn't if it's exposed uh, different things like that. So, um, there's a lot of different things that go into play with it um, outside of the stomach versus mm -hmm. in the stomach. Mm, yeah, 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 that makes sense. But I think also yeah. though, too, yeah. kind of going back to the shorter shelf shelf life, I I don't see that as a negative because it can be. A, it well, depends sorry, on how short that shelf well, life. Yeah, I mean, like if it's a week, yeah, that kind of sucks. But like if it's a month or even two or three weeks, like it's one of those things where it's like oftentimes we should be following up with these patients, right? Like if, if, if they truly are that sick and like, but we should also be seeing like how they're doing on the medication, right? Like, so we should be following up before that bottle expires and be like, Hey, how'd this formulation go? Did they like the flavoring? How are we feeling? Do you think maybe we could take out maybe this medication because maybe we haven't been nauseous, maybe separate it out so you can give it as needed instead of constantly every day and so I feel like that's a good way to open a conversation though to try to titrate down a little bit and to still keep tabs of that pet and how they're feeling and how they're doing so like I said I, I can see yeah. the negative but like I can see the very positive side of it though too that's a good point um I would say that one of the main negatives I think is cost um yeah. because you know it costs more to every time you make a product, it costs more because you have to ship it. It's the labor and all of that. Yeah. So if you can make something, you know, if you can make a two month supply uh, and ship that versus a 14 day supply and ship that it's definitely those savings get transferred to the pet owner. Um, so make, you know, having to order it every two weeks versus every two months yeah. um, could be cost prohibitive for people, some people. Um, but yeah, I like your idea of, of 
you know, maintaining contact with them and seeing, you know, how they're doing. I also like if you're if you are going to decide to combine uh, drug therapies, uh, I I'd like you to kind of try to get a sense of if this is the right dose for this pet uh, mm-hmm. before you do that, so that you're not you're saving money if if you have to, um, you know, take something out or take something down after a week because the pet wasn't tolerating one of the drugs. You know, yeah. it'd be nice if you knew that beforehand yeah. uh, before you combine them all. So you're not having to pay for all that. Um, but also like in cardio meds, a lot of times they'll separate the furosemide out because that's the one drug that can change uh, yeah. more frequently. But it's you know, so they'll leave like, that as a separate. Like Meropitin. Like sense. it's like, yeah. well, it's nice to have the anti-nausea on board. Sometimes it would be nice to just give that on the days that we might need it instead of consistently every day. Because it's like, I, I mean, like, I don't know. I like, <laughs> I'm not, there's also a big dose range for that one too. Right. So, yeah. So it's one of those things where it's like, what if your pet was extra nauseous? Right. And so it's like, I can see to the limiting effects of combining meds because it's like, what if fluffy is more nauseous today than yesterday? And so it would be nice to be able to give just a little bit more of that meropitin or on Danzatron or something just to mm, kind yeah. of help out versus being stuck with like, oh shoot, it's already combined with those other drugs. So it's like, I, right. I, I can see both sides of it for sure. Yeah. We never want to put ourselves in a box if we can help it. Right. So, um, you know, combination drug therapy is reserved for those cases that absolutely need it. And in those cases that absolutely need it, most of the time the pet owner is going to be willing to pay for it. And if a dose change needs to happen, they, that just, that should be a part of the conversation though. Uh, mm-hmm. when we go back to communication from the medical team is I will call this in as a combination, but if we have to change anything based on how your pet's responding to this, you may have to reorder it again. And that will cost more money. I just want to set the expectations up clearly. Yeah. As long as you set expectations clearly, I think people are pretty much on board. Yeah. And I think that's a big yeah. thing though, too. And I think that's something that vet med is improving on is communication, um, yeah. toward, like two clients and stuff, because I can tell you a million times that I, uh, like the compounded meds I've called in and didn't discuss it with a client. And it's, it's shameful almost to me that I'm like, I could have done better, but now I know better. So it's like, now I know that we can have these conversations and Yvonne and I've talked in several past episodes, like promote someone to be that client communications person, right? Like promote Mm -hmm. someone to be that person who's going to go in that room with a client and be like, Hey, Dr. Z prescribed X, Y, and K uh, cause I didn't want to use Z again. And so it's like, <laughs> let them go in and be like, Hey, here's our options. We have these compounding options. I already talked to the compounding pharmacy. We can do, we can combine a and B, but we can't really combine C, but if we do this. And so it's like, there's roles for that. We talked about it in our um, last episode, Brian, of just trying yeah. to find those roles to kind of fit people where they're going to feel like they have a purpose and have, um, they're succeeding. And that while ultimately still providing a much better experience for the client and still saving those other tools that we utilize like compounding pharmacies or other pharmacies from the hassle of having to try to answer those questions too right so it's like again a full team effort and so i think i think we're getting there yeah we'll get there one day i agree and that i mean that was basically my role before i came over to um best Pet Rx was uh being that 
communication uh, person for the clients, acting as a liaison between the doctors and the pet owners to make sure that they were comfortable with a treatment plan. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes a lot of the burden off a lot of people. It makes pet owners feel a lot better because they feel supported and they feel like they're being given the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it also makes doctors feel better because they don't have to, they are freed up to have more time to actually see patients and utilize their knowledge on the things that it's needed for. While utilizing your knowledge as well to discuss those exactly. things. So it's like, yeah. it's a win it's all the way efficient. around. Yeah. It's, yeah. There's yeah. really no negative to it. And it's, it's, I want to see vet med grow to more positions like that. And I, I, I really do hope that we're on the way, but that's, you know, part of the reason why we do these podcasts so that we, <laughs> we can try to gear things a little bit. Kind of push it, push it yeah. that way. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, good luck. I hope that's going to work uh, work out for you. I, I think you're going to start seeing more people, um, people that are open-minded in these companies that start to promote uh, techs into roles like that where they can utilize their knowledge better. Um, I think they're going to realize what that looks like on their bottom line as well because they're going to be able to see more patients. Yeah. And it's going to be better for the industry because, you know, uh, there's so many long wait times to see specialists especially. Um, yeah. Wow, say that 10 times fast. Um, but, um, you know, if you can make them more efficient uh, by having somebody who's in charge of communication with a pet owner, um, you'll see more patients and then there won't be such long wait times to see a specialist. I know. It'd be, it'd win, be win. amazing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. We'll put it out there in the universe. <laughs> Brian, is there anything else that you wanted to cover? No, I think we covered quite a bit, actually. Uh, you know, right. the just the main role of compounding when it's appropriate to do that and, and the communication around that. I think those are the the most important things. I mean, I am super excited to like learn about this stuff. And I think, I think it not just internal medicine, but yes, we're internal medicine. Um, but we work so closely a lot of times with cardio and onco and all these other specialties, which is really where we do see the most compounding. Um, I do know some, Obviously, some general practice is also going to be doing compounding, um, but I think there's a lot of talking points that can be done as a team, and then knowing your your options is huge, and kind of reminding yourself that these are questions that we can do, I think is, is huge, and I'm excited to, I mean, working in internal medicine, we do a lot of... <laughs> calling up into pharmacies so it's great to hear the other side so I, I appreciate that um, I think it's a good reminder too that it's okay to ask these like pharmacies questions and like try to learn how to best call in something or submit a prescription or how to best like write a prescription that is like a little open so like open to modification where yeah. we're still meeting the same goal and so I think that's important to know though too and the different options like the color coding tablet is still like mind-blowing to me <laughs> that I'm like how easy is that like it's so yeah. like so simple um so again Brian thank you for hitting us with all of your education and your knowledge and I really appreciate it yes. thank you guys thanks for having me this was great and I, and just with Brian and Audrey, because Audrey's being quiet, but they're both here. I I think it's important for us to, um, and this is a really good point, Audrey. You kind of you kind of said it quietly. I think it's important for us to also utilize you guys um, at pharmacies for your strengths because mm-hmm. it's stuff we don't think about, right? And 
Um, I've, I've definitely had those conversations with the pharmacists where they're like, well, do you really want it this? Like we can do this. And I'm like, shut up. You can do that. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think that is really important for us to remember that, um, sometimes there's other options that we don't even remotely think of that might work really well. So, yeah, I don't think we think to do our research because I think we think that all compounding pharmacies fit in like one area. (laughs) right? There's a little box. You yeah. Do this. And it's like, that's, that's not it. Just like one vet clinic, even general practice or not like this general practice is different than that general practice. Right. And clients do their mm-hmm. research on which clinics to use. We should be doing our research on which pharmacies to use. So I think that's a big, big deal is to try to find and figure out the strengths of the partners that you are using. Right. Like it's yeah. a big deal. Yeah. So thank you both for joining us. I really appreciate it. I had such a good time with these episodes. Um, (laughs) And I can't tell you how much I appreciate your guys' time and effort and energy and discussions. It's just been outstanding. And Brian and Audrey, I can't wait to have you guys back. I really can't. (laughs) Thank you so much. You guys are such a pleasure pleasure to chat with. Can't wait to be back. Uh, and we'll put links in our show notes of course um for some of the different resources uh there's i know that i think brian there's like on your guys's website there's you you did like um some talks that so there's snippets of some of your talks that were race approved previously too so um i know that's that's pretty cool to go check out um yeah uh, you can find those on our oncology page the oncology page. Okay. Yep. And just, I don't know, hopefully we said this, but bestpetrx.com, bestpetrx.com is the website that they have. So definitely check them out. Um, how many states are you guys in right now? Just cause I'm curious. 38. 38. Woo. Yep. I think that's more than the last time I ta- asked you guys, which is pretty cool. So <laughs> more uh, to come. Yep, we've got more on the horizon. That's exciting. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thank you guys. I'm excited. Hopefully everybody gets a little bit of um a little bit of extra knowledge in the the farm world because I know half the people are probably scared of pharmacy. So it's okay. Mm-hmm. Pharmacology is not that scary. We need to get <laughs> we need to get Brian back on to discuss like pharmacology. <laughs> Brian's like, I got you. Yeah. Hey, we're I'm here, here to help. for it. All right, friends, thank you so much for listening and making a commitment to learning. I hope everybody has a fantastic week. Brian, happy birthday. And we will talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye, Audrey. Bye, Bye, Brian. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Internal Medicine for Vet Techs podcast. If you like what you heard, we'd love for you to share with someone you think might enjoy the podcast. And make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Want to give us a boost? Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher, and we'll be sure to say thank you. Find out everything about us at internalmedicineforvettex.com. Talk to you next week. Bye.